you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Genesis starting in chapter 37. If you've got your copy of the story, uh, you can open it up to chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, I'm so glad that you are all here. Uh, by the way, I always think this is, this is good when we do communion in the early service. You folks that like to spread out are all together, right? Just enjoy. This is what 11 o'clock feels like for the rest of us. Um, but uh, God bless you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, I want to remind you, as you've been reading through the story, that uh, it's not intended to be a replacement for your Bible. Uh, rather, it's a resource, right? And if you're here and you're just joining us for the first time, great. Don't worry. Uh, you're, not, you're not behind. Don't worry about those kind of things. Uh, we have these for you, and they're free. And so at the end of the service, uh, if you walk down this hallway, we've got a table set up. We've got these books, and we just give them out for free. You can take one uh, for you. If you've you got somebody out back at the house, you can take one for them. We'll have a deacon down there that can kind of tell you which books are for what age group, but they are a free resource for your entire family. And the goal is uh, we want you to take it and read it. It's really that simple. Read one chapter a week, uh, and you're supposed to read that chapter before you show up here, and I talk about it. That's kind of how that works. And so this week you were supposed to read chapter... Three. Good job. You are on top of it. So how many of you were able to knock that out this week? You're done. Wow. Great participation. That is awesome. Um, so uh, that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about chapter three, which is the story of, uh, of Joseph. Uh, I want to also ask these two questions. Another pop quiz is, remember, you're not just supposed to read it. You're also supposed to talk about it as a family. So with your spouse, with your children, if you've handed the book out to your grandkids. So how many of you have had those conversations this week? Anybody? Okay, a few, a few. We've got to do better on that one, folks. We've got to do better. And lastly, the last part of that, we really want you to talk about those in, in, our, in our community, in our church community. And so that means uh, either you belong. We, we have two types of small groups here, a traditional small group, some would call Sunday school. Uh, how many of you have been doing that? You're talking about them in a, in a Sunday school kind of format. Awesome. And then we also have a non-traditional groups that meet in homes, typically around meals. We call those life groups. Anybody doing that yet? Any, any groups started? Our, our, we started meeting a couple weeks ago. Well, if not, now if you didn't answer that last one, you said, no, not yet, guess what? Today's the day for you because most of those groups kick off today. So if you do not have a group to meet with, to eat with, to have fellowship with, to talk about um, this awesome resource together with, then all you've got to do at the end of the service is come see Pastor Allen. Um, he'll tell you all the groups that are open. He'll tell you where they're meeting today, um, those kind of things. We've even got some that meet during the week. Um, and so he can, he can give you all those dates and times. We want you to be plugged in to a group. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, the entire story of Joseph, um, which takes up about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. It's from 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. We're going to cover all that ground together this morning right after we pray. So join me in, word of, uh, in a word of prayer. Father, um, we are so grateful for being here today. We're so grateful um, for uh, this gift that you have given us uh, named Jesus. Jesus, we're so thankful for your life and for your um, death and the sacrifice that you've made for us. And uh, we, just, we, we just come this morning in awe of you and how much you love us. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you in now and we say collectively that we want to see Jesus. And we can't do that on our own and by ourselves. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show um, him to us, that you would reveal him to us in uh, the word of God this morning. Come and take your proper place in this church. Um, as our teacher and as our guide, we invite you in now. Uh, lift up Jesus that he might draw us unto himself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, if you... Uh, 
have your little bookmark. You might want to look at it. We are right here, um, character number two and movement number two. Um, So we are in the second movement of this great story. That movement is called the story of Israel. And we began that, that, that story with a guy named Abraham last week. We're going to continue it now with Joseph, who is his grandson. And, uh, and you may remember that we said this, this story of Israel, this new movement, goes something like this. Here's the gist of it. God is building a brand new nation called Israel. And through this nation, he will reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get us back. Right? To get us back. And this is really important, the second part of that. Uh, every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. And so last week we began um, with Abraham, the father of this great nation. He's actually the father of many nations. And Abraham, of course, and his wife, uh, Sarah, uh, eventually God gives them this this promised son, Isaac. Of course, he tests him. um, But uh, eventually Isaac will go on and and he'll get married and he'll have a son. uh, And and, uh, Jacob, and and Jacob... um, is, is, is a bit of a trickster, really is the best way to, to, to talk about that, right? He, he steals his brother's blessing, he steals his birthright, he runs for his life because Esau is hacked, um, and when he runs away, his mom sends him to some family because uh, he doesn't want him marrying you know, somebody else, and so sends him towards some family. He falls in love with this woman named Rachel. I mean, he sees her and is like, yes, that is my heart. I'm going to marry Rachel. Uh, And so he works for seven years because he has nothing to give, right? So he has to offer up his own labor. He works for seven years to, to, to pay uh, the, the bride's price. And, and, uh, but the trickster gets tricked. And on the wedding day, I don't know how thick that veil was. I don't know what went down, how much wine was involved. But he ends up laying with Leah, who is not a looker, the Bible says. She becomes pregnant. Leah has several children, right? Uh, eventually, he has to work another seven years before he can win the heart and the affection of his, uh, his bride-to-be, Rachel. They get married. And uh, Leah has several children. Um, on her fourth children, she finally, fourth child, she finally says, You know what? Enough of this pursuing Jacob's heart. Um, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. And she names that child Judah. And then Rachel was finally able to have children. Her firstborn son is this son named Joseph. And, uh, and so that's kind of where our, our story begins to pick up. And you remember the story uh, takes, takes a shift here, the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is going to continue um, through Leah, through this last child, whom she finally said, this time I will praise the Lord. She named that child Judah. Jesus, the ultimate answer, is going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. Down here in our story, God is going to work through Joseph. And so Joseph is here, and, and he's a young man uh, who, and his whole family is, is plagued by this favoritism thing, right? His father, uh, his father's father showed it. Now his father shows it. He's got 11 brothers. He's one of 12. But his dad loves him the most. That sin of favoritism, just like all sins, it's not content to be contained. And uh, he loves him the most. And his dad's not quiet about loving him the most, which is really the problem. He, he gives him this extravagant coat um, if you were raised in church, you've heard it called the coat of many colors. And if you weren't, God bless you, me neither. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what people were talking about or singing about, but, uh, but here it is. Uh, he gives them this great coat. And um, you've got to understand the significance of this coat. 
So it's not just a pretty coat that kids are supposed to color and draw in Sunday school. It's really significant because, because this, is, this is the sin of favoritism, right? Jacob loved Rachel the most. He chose Rachel. And so he chooses Rachel's sons, not his older sons, uh, the sons that come from Leah. He actually chooses Rachel's firstborn, Joseph. And, and when he gives him this coat, he's declaring, he is my favorite. Uh, through him, all my blessings will come. Basically, he's saying, he is going to be my heir. He's my chosen one, not the rest of you. And so we just kind of have to put ourselves in their, their shoes for a second. So how do you think that made them feel? How do you think that that would make a child feel when one child is, is, is focused on and all the others are basically forgotten? And, and the Bible, uh, luckily we don't have to guess, the Bible tells us they're not just hurt, but this hurt actually bursts um, something called hate in their hearts. Genesis 37 verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father, see this is the sin of favoritism, this is what it has done. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. Now, now that's not on Joseph. That's actually on Jacob. That's on Israel. Remember, that's his name. has been changed. Uh, that's on Israel. But, uh, of course, um, Joseph doesn't make it any better. Um, the younger brother has some visions. He has some dreams uh, that one day all of his brothers will be bowing down to him. And he decides it's a good idea to share those things. Uh, if you're the younger brother, let me just say, it, it, some things are better left locked up here. Okay, But let, let's extend that. If you're the husband, sometimes some things are just better left up here. Okay, just That's helpful free marriage advice right there. And so... Um, Jacob declares Joseph the favorite, the heir. Um, Joseph makes things worse. Um, so uh, one day, his father, um, when he's 17, his father sends him out to check on the flocks, to check on his brothers. So again, see the sin of favoritism. Joseph's not even in the fields with his brothers. He's, he's such a favorite that he's in the house Right? He's probably learning how to run, run things. He's like in the manager's program. Everybody else is out in the field working. And so he sends him out to the field to find his brothers. When he finds them eventually, um, uh, they, they, they see him. And, and as he approaches, they're just done. And so they plot to kill him. I mean, this is pure hate. But Reuben and, and Judah kind of come to his rescue. And so Reuben says, like, listen, we shouldn't do this. This is our brother. Let's just throw him. See this empty cistern? Let's just toss him there. Now, Reuben kind of has in his mind that after the other guys leave, he's going to come back and rescue him. But then Judah speaks up, and this is what he says, Genesis 37, um, 26 through 27. He says, what will we gain if we kill our brother? Okay, now this is page 30 of your book, The Story. That's always going to be in parentheses there. What will we gain if we kill our brother and we cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. You remember those guys, right? Um, when Abraham and Sarah decided that they would help out God. And, uh, and so Ishmael is born. And uh, so these, these, these are descendants of Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, um, and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Uh, his brothers all agreed. And so they sell Joseph to the merchants that are described as descendants of Ishmael. Um, and they're returning from Gilead. They're heading to Midian. And, and uh, so they sell him. And, and, and they take his robe from him and they dip it in, in, blow, in the blood of an animal. And they take it back to, to their father, Jacob, and say, your son has died. Your son has died. And uh, these merchants end up taking Joseph into Egypt. He's sold there, and he ends up in the home of a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar's kind of important. He's really high up with Pharaoh. In fact, he's the head of Pharaoh's guard. And, uh, and Joseph there is, he comes to work for him, and he has a great work ethic. Joseph, evidently, even though he's the favored son, he's a hard worker. And he works hard, and everything that he does is blessed. And so pretty soon, um, Pharaoh puts him in charge of his entire house. And that's when we realize... Um, 
uh, the, we are introduced to really the first uh, cougar in all of the Bible. It's Potiphar's wife, and she is on the prowl. I'm guessing Potiphar puts, puts in some long hours, but uh, here's what the Bible says. It says, Joseph is a handsome young lad, 17 years old, evidently. He's, he's already kind of grown up, and he's kind of strapping. And, and, uh, and Potiphar's wife, who's probably a looker, by the way, because back in those days, somebody in his position kind of had to have a trophy wife. And, and uh, so she's not getting a lot of attention. She uh, sees him. She becomes infatuated with him. And every time she sees him, she gets in his ear, and she's like, come to bed with me. And that is the PG-13 version. Okay, all right, because in Hebrew, it is a lot worse than that. All right, it is a, it is a crass sexual term. Uh, it, it is all about lust. That's what she gets up in his ear with. And so one day, Joseph is taking uh, care of the house. He's in the house, and, and nobody else is in the house. Warning, 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 right? Doesn't catch it. He doesn't see anybody around. He's in the house doing some things. She comes up, and she grabs him by the cloak, and she says this, this crass um, just overtly sexual thing to him again. And, uh, and in that moment, he, he has to decide. Now, now, hear me. In that moment, now, now, life has not worked out like he thought it would, right? I mean, I mean, circumstances are not good. And here he is. He's faced with an opportunity, right? I mean, I mean this young man, he, he, he's not going to marry. He's a slave. He has this opportunity to, to, to um, basically commit sin, right? It's his opportunity. It's right there before him. He, he chooses not to. He, he doesn't take the low road. He takes the high road. And he just, he, he bolts. He leaves her hanging on to his cloak. Now Potiphar's wife doesn't take the high road, of course. She lies uh, about it. She tells her husband, he tried to come. He tried to sleep with me. Um, I think the husband actually believed Joseph's story a little more because he could have put him to death. He didn't. He just put him in prison, um, which was a little bit more, when you think prison, don't think American prison, okay? Um, probably a little bit more dungeon, if you think dungeon uh, is a better place to go. And, and there too, Joseph just works hard. And, and, and he works hard, and everything he does is blessed. And so pretty soon he's put in charge, just like he was put in charge of all of Pharaoh's house. Now he's put in charge of the entire palace. I'm still an inmate, of course. And it's there he meets two more of Pharaoh's servants. One is a cupbearer, and the other is a baker. And they're having problems sleeping, and he can see it on their face. So he says, hey, what's wrong? I can't, we're having these dreams. We don't know what they mean. And Joseph says, well, hey, man, I've had a few dreams. <laughs> you know, God is the one that, reveals to us what dreams mean. And so he prays to God. God gives him the ability to interpret these dreams. Really, really good news for the cupbearer. Really, really bad news for the baker. Um, cupbearer's going to live and be restored. The baker's going to die. And uh, he just has one request. When you get back there, not you, baker, cupbearer, I'm talking to you. Um, would you remember me? And so the cupbearer cup is restored, uh, but, uh, but he does not remember Jacob. He forgets until one night, two years later, suddenly Pharaoh's not sleeping. And when Pharaoh ain't happy, nobody's happy. And, uh, and so he says, hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy. You remember when you threw me in the clink? I know a guy. His name's Joseph. He's great. He can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh calls on Joseph. And now Joseph is standing before the most powerful man in the world. And he stands before the most powerful man in the world, before Pharaoh. And, uh, and he says, I, I, I can't interpret dreams, but God can. Let me pray to God. He gives all the glory, all the credit to God, just like he did the previous time. He says, Pharaoh, here's what your dreams mean. When you had this dream about these fat cows being eaten by skinny cows, and the same thing with, the hay, uh, with wheat, here's what's going on. And uh, he says, a famine is coming. But it's not going to come until seven years of abundance. First, you're going to have seven years of abundance and seven years of famine that will plague the entire earth. Uh, if you're wise, Pharaoh, you need to start building storehouses now and you need to keep a portion of all the abundance now so that when the famine hits, you're set. And, and this is what Pharaoh says. It's a pretty big deal. 
um, in Genesis 41, uh, he says this, Since God has made all this known to you, I, as far as I'm concerned, no one is so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph is 30 years old at this point, and he is now the second most powerful man in the world. Just let that sink in. Seven years of abundance come. They store up all the grain. Um, after that, it's followed by a great, great famine. Uh, but thanks to Joseph, Egypt has grain. So Jacob, Israel, sends his sons to Egypt. Says, listen, we're going to die here. You've got to go get us something to eat. So his brothers come, and guess what they do? They bow before him, just like he dreamed they would. They bow before him. Now, uh, rightfully so, Joseph is a little leery of his brothers who threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery. And so he puts them to a few tests, okay? You can say that wasn't very nice, but he was kind of checking their character. They are changed men, so eventually he sends for his father and all their possessions. They come and they live in Egypt in the choicest places with their flocks. And it is there in Egypt that they will become the great nation known as Israel. They had to go to Egypt to grow. Okay, now, question. What does this story have to do with us? That's the question, right? That's the question we should ask as we read the Bible, like what, what does the Lord have for us out of this? How do we see God in this? And uh, I'll tell you, I believe this story is here to help us answer a question that we have all asked at one time or, or another. And that question is this, where is God? Right? Where is God? When life isn't working out the way that we hoped or dreamed or planned, where is God, right? When we find ourselves alone in the pit of life, I like to call it the ditch, where is God? When, when we make the right choice and we still end up paying the price, right? Where is God? When we take the high road and yet it seems that all the people taking the low road are the ones getting rewarded, where is God? And the story of Joseph really answers that question two ways, and both of them bring me great hope. I pray they'll do the same for you. First and foremost, the story of Joseph teaches us that God is with us wherever we go. That God is with us wherever we go. This is one of the greatest promises for any believer. The truth that if we're a child of God, we are never alone. Never alone. Can I ask you a question this morning? How do you think Joseph felt when his own flesh and blood threw him into the pit? Right? The chosen son left for dead. How do you think he felt when they sold him for 20 pieces of silver? He rode all the way to Egypt as a slave, probably shackled. How do you think he felt as he went up for auction? Buying another human being. Angers you, doesn't it? The thought. It should. As he lay there in the pit of despair, his own flesh and blood had done this. The story, his story wasn't supposed to go that way, was it? You guys ever been there? You ever felt that way? This is not how my life was supposed to go. This is not the way things were supposed to turn out, right? From, from son, favored son, to slave, from slave to prisoner. The chosen one is now a convict. And the question is, where is God? The Bible tells us, Genesis 39 two, 
the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I hope you noticed as you read your story that a bad situation is no reason to sin, by the way. I tried to highlight that for you a second ago as Joseph is faced with the opportunity. You know, sometimes, and I say that especially in the, in the realm of sexual sin, sometimes when life doesn't work out the way that we think it should, right? How many wives have said, well, my husband just doesn't pay any attention to me, just doesn't listen, and their thoughts begin to wander off about other men. How many husbands, my wife is just so cold, and so they began to maybe flirt a little bit at work when they shouldn't, or, or stay up a little late and turn on those channels they tell their kids they can't watch. See, listen, just because life isn't the way you had hoped it would be, that is no excuse for sin. There is always a way out. There is always a way out. And so Joseph, he took the high road. Potiphar's wife doesn't. And again, now he's in prison. He's in prison. He did the right thing for crying out loud, and he's punished. Are you kidding me? And somebody says, wait, I did the right thing, and I'm punished? Where are you, God? And the scripture tells us, Genesis 39, 20 through 21. But while Joseph was there in the prison, what's that say? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. In the pit, at Potiphar's house, in the prison, and yes, eventually in the palace, God is with Joseph wherever he goes. And this truth will be um, shown throughout the remainder of this great story of God that we look at. It's going to be on display time and time and time again. A God so good that he doesn't leave us no matter how bad it seems. Some of you today especially need to hear that word because you feel like life has just handed you a lemon. Your health is bad, your spouse is mad, your job, it stinks, your husband drinks, your kids don't obey, and your sanity has given way. And you think, my life was not supposed to turn out like this. Where is God? You need to hear this this morning. (laughs) He is with you. You are not alone. God has not abandoned you. He is right there in the despair with you. That's where God exists. That's where you can find him. If you don't believe me, just stick around as we work through this story. Eventually, we're going to meet the answer. His name is Jesus. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he will step out of heaven and down into the pit of humanity. And he will become sin for our sake. For our sake, he will suffer and die in our place. To be with us. Because that's who God is and that is what he does. Where is God, Pastor? My life is hard. It hasn't gone like I've planned. Where is God while I'm stuck here in this pit? And the answer, my friend, lovingly, I would tell you, is God is with you. That's where he is. He's right there with you. God is with us wherever we go. Number two, uh, second answer to that question, where is God, is this. Not only is God with us, 
This one brings me great comfort. But God is over us, working for good. God is over us, working for good. And this is my favorite truth revealed in the life of Joseph. The existence of a God who is always working. He is always at work in the upper story. We can't always see it, but he is constantly working in the upper story, right? Remember, we're down here, but God is constantly working in the upper story, and he is always working for good, for good. We learn this when Joseph makes himself known to his brothers, Genesis 45, 5 through 8. He says, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourself for selling me here. They've done a horrible thing to him. He's like, don't be angry at yourselves for doing this horrible thing to me. Uh, Ready? Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me here, he says. Right? For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there's going to be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Somebody hears that and they said, wait a second. So did God cause his brothers to sin and to throw him in that pit? Did God cause Potiphar's wife to be filled with lust and to pursue him so crassly? The answer to that, of course, is God doesn't cause sin. Right? God is above sin. God can't be blamed for sin. I think we see it more clearly at the end of the chapter in Genesis 50, verse 20. Some revealing words here. Again, Joseph trying to explain this thing God has done. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me. That word intended uh, in Hebrew means devised a plan. He says, you guys, as I was walking uh, from the distance to meet you, devised a plan. You're going to kill me. That was actually their plan. And then Reuben uh, steps up, and then Judah kind of has devises a plan. Let's not kill him, let's sell him, we'll get a little money for it. He says, you guys devised a plan to harm me. But get this, but God, same word, intended, God had devised a plan for good. See, you, on, 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 in the lower story, you had your plan of harming me. You had your plan of hurting me. You had your plan. But God, in his upper story, already had a plan that, that overarched your plan, that oversaw your plan, that was bigger than what you could do. And so God took what you had devised, and he devised it into something good. And he sent me to a place where I could save the future of our family. Now Israel will grow into a great nation in Egypt. A nation that fears God. And they'll do that because they're just going to be with themselves, right? The Egyptians think that all shepherds are disgusting. (laughs) There'll be no intermarrying here in Egypt. Plus they have the choicest land. So not only will they increase in their population, but their flocks will be magnificent. God had to take them to Egypt to grow them. Now, in the lower story, men were scheming for hurt and for harm. But in the upper story, God was taking the hurtful, harmful plans and making them into something good. 
making them into something good, which just brings us to uh, what do we do with this? How do we unpack this? How do we take this home? It's been our challenge every week to give you something to take home. And this week, here's, here's two things I really want you to take home. And I'm going to break down each of those points. So that first point, God is with me. How can I take that home? This is the truth I want you to take home this week, okay? And listen, this is a promise for believers. I, I, can't, I can't speak that more clearly. If you're here and you're not yet a believer in Christ, um, I, I'm sorry, unfortunately, this promise doesn't apply to you. The, God's promise to never leave or forsake us is a promise to His children. And, and when we come to a point that we're willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus, um, we're willing to come to God and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of rejecting you. I, I, I want you to take control of my life. Save me. When we cry out that prayer, we've been praying the last few weeks. At that moment, the Bible says we become a child of God. And from that moment on, God says, I'm your father. I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, he puts his spirit inside of us as a seal of that promise, and wherever we go, God is with us. And so uh, what, what that means for you, if you're here today and you're a believer, is this. This is huge. You've got to take this home and, 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 and think on this this week. Circumstances don't dictate God's presence in my life. That's what it means. We unpack this truth. That is what that truth means. When I, when I, when I read, God will never leave me or forsake me. So what does that mean to me? It means that my circumstances cannot dictate God's presence in my life. It means it doesn't matter what, 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 how my finances are. It doesn't matter how my job is going. It doesn't matter whether, whether my marriage is a little rocky right now. That doesn't dictate God's presence in my life. That doesn't mean that God has left me. You say, but pastor, I really messed up this week. Join the choir, man. I'm not talking about the choir. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're all in that same boat. But that doesn't mean that God has left us. I, it wasn't long ago. That's how I felt. I felt like if I ever messed up, that God was going to just drastically affect everybody in my life that I could ever think about. That it was all on me, right? Or, or I just felt like God was going to want nothing to do with me. Ever. Now listen, my sin... Like God, God doesn't approve of my sin, right? It, my sin still, even in relationship, it, it, it breaks my fellowship with God. But it never changes my relationship. And even in our sin, God pursues us. That is the gospel. Jesus does not come down to save a bunch of good people. That's not the story. Eventually, he will come and he'll put an end to the antagonist. He will crush his head, and he's going to do that for a bunch of rebellious people, you know, like us. So if you could just take this truth home and unpack it this week, on your best day, God is with you. Ready? On your worst day, when you are the person you don't like to be, God is with you. God is with you. Circumstances don't dictate God's presence in my life. Here's what the second one means. Talk about God being over us. That's, we, we're talking about God's sovereignty now. Uh, it means this. It means that people may hurt me. They may even harm me. Okay? But listen, ultimately, they cannot hinder God. They cannot hinder God. Listen, you're going to be wronged in life. It's going to happen. Probably by people that you thought would never wrong you. Um, sometimes it's going to be by people you're pretty sure they were going to wrong you, and then they're just going to do it. And you'll be like, yeah, I knew that was coming. All right. So, uh, but you're going to be wronged. It's going to happen. People are going to hurt you. They're going to harm you. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel alone. All these things are going to happen. But here's the truth. God has a plan for your life. 
right? We, we, we don't, sometimes we don't feel comfortable with that statement. We're like, well, God has a plan. And man, I, listen, I preach that like crazy. God has a plan. We need to conform our life to his plan. That's absolutely true. But when God wants to accomplish a purpose in you, by golly, he's going to do it. And he doesn't need your help planning it out. He is going to bring it about. And, and no matter what has happened, no matter what failures have come, no matter what hurts have come, no matter how many times you've been thrown into a pit, if God has a plan for your life, God is going to provi- prevail. That's what he's going to do. You cannot hinder God's plan, his good plan. God reigns over everything. And, and here's when, when you're in the midst of it and it doesn't feel good and you're thinking, God, where are you? This is horrible. Why, don't, why aren't you interceding? You have to remember, he is. You just can't see it. You just can't see it. He is interceding in the midst of people harming you and hurting you. He is up there working it for his good and for your ultimate good. It's coming. It's coming. So that's what that truth means. That's how you unpack it this week. Would you go home this week and just meditate on these two truths? Just think about it. I'm like, God... I've never thought about that, that such and such happened to me and I thought my whole life took a turn right there. My whole life didn't take a turn right there. You're over all that. You are still going to bring about the purposes that you have for me and ultimately that you have for your kingdom. Thank you for being so good. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. We want to just ask you right now to let us just meditate on these two things just for for a moment. Uh, Speak to each of our hearts. Lord, on, on, on how and what we need to do with these truths that we have learned this morning. We're so thankful for being able to be here, to be a part of this worship service. Uh, and we're, we're thankful for how you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.